Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic Radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. We are happy now to share with you a presentation by Father Bill Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. Father Casey will be the speaker for our 15th annual Summer Speaker Series event on the evening of Thursday, July 20th at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. The event will include wine and hors d'oeuvres and will be a great opportunity for you to escape the heat, spend time with hundreds of your Catholic Radio friends, and support the mission of KTH 910 AM. To purchase tickets, visit Summer speakerseries.com. Here now is Father Bill Casey. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father of light, from whom all good gifts come, send your Spirit into our lives with the power of a mighty wind, and by the flame of your wisdom, open the horizons of our minds. Loosen our tongues to sing your praise in words beyond the power of speech. Without your Spirit, we can never raise our voices in words of peace or announce the truth that Jesus is Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Mother of Mercy, St. Joseph, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank uh, Josh, Lori, and all of you for that warm welcome. It's always a pleasure to come here where I feel like I am among old friends, and even some who have become like members of my own family in the years since I've been coming up here. It's always great to be here in Michigan. I was telling Josh uh, this morning at breakfast that I have never had a bad mission or retreat in Michigan. You know, it tells me the faith is still very much alive here. In spite of the call to action types, of course, Detroit is the birthplace of call to action and a wellspring of so many movements of dissenters within the church in this country. But as St. Paul said, Whereas sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. All right? The faith is alive here, and people like yourselves will have to use your faith, your confidence in God, to counteract those evil influences. And I have no doubt, you know, the aging radicals of the 60s, <laughs> their days are numbered. We have a new generation of young priests and seminarians who are so very orthodox, and they are going to turn back this tide of dissent and disobedience in the church. I have no doubt about that. It's going to take time. It's going to be a hard fight, but it's going to happen. Well, last night I spoke about confidence in God, which is the overall theme of our retreat this weekend. And this morning I want to speak about the virtue that is the very foundation of confidence in God. And I want to begin with a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. 
Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men. He was known to be of human estate, and it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death and death on a cross. Because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. So that at Jesus' name, every knee must bend in the heavens, on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue proclaimed the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. In May of 1863, when the Civil War was at its peak, the Union and Confederate armies converged on the little town of Chancellorsville in northern Virginia. And at that time, the Union Army had a controversial commander, General Joseph Hooker. They called him <coughs> Fighting Joe, Fighting Joe Hooker. Now, General Hooker was a proud man. He had gained a reputation for being profane, vain, arrogant, and ambitious. He was a heavy drinker, a notorious womanizer, a blasphemer, braggart, yet a violent temper. He allowed every kind of immorality to go on inside and outside of the soldiers' camp. Hooker always allowed a small army of gamblers, prostitutes, and hucksters to follow the Union Army wherever it went. Hooker was a thoroughly godless man, and everyone knew it. The night before the Battle of Chancellorsville, General Hooker gathered his generals together for a war council, and at that meeting he bragged about what he was going to do to General Lee and the Southerners the next day. He said he would show them no mercy. He said... Let God have mercy on them, because I'll have none. And then he made the statement that shocked them all. He raised a hand in the air, pointed a finger toward heaven, and he said, Almighty God, Almighty God could not stop me from winning the victory tomorrow. Later that night, General Winfield Scott Hancock went back to his tent, wrote a letter to his wife, and said... How can we ever hope to win under a commander who would dare to utter such blasphemy? Well, General Hooker planned to attack the Confederates the next day, but when the next day came, he got the surprise of his life because General Lee attacked him. And fighting Joe Hooker was caught completely off guard, taken totally by surprise. The officers on his staff said that a kind of paralysis came over him. He became almost paralyzed with fear and indecision because of the suddenness of the attack. The better part of a whole day went by before he ever came out of his headquarters to direct the battle, but by that time, it was too late. The Southerners pulled off one of the most spectacular flanking movements in military history, and they gave the Federal Army a bloody beating. For the North, it was a humiliating defeat. When President Abraham Lincoln fired Joseph Hooker, and Hooker fell into disgrace. He had to live with the shame of that defeat and that blasphemy for the rest of his life. And his very name, his name itself became disgraced because after Chancellorsville, his name was forever associated with the infamous profession of the immoral women he allowed to follow his camp. This is what happens to the proud and the arrogant.
You know, the punishment for pride is somehow built into the order of God's creation. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, do you understand why it is that pride is so very dangerous to the life of the soul? Why it is that pride is the most deadly of the seven deadly sins? Why it is the most dangerous of all the capital sins? Pride was the sin of Lucifer and the fallen angels who said, I will not serve. Pride was the sin of Adam and Eve who wanted to be like God and decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is good and what is evil without reference to God. They wanted to exert their independence from God. It was pride issuing in disobedience, disobedience resulting in sin, sin bringing pain, suffering, misery, and death into the world. Pride is the sin of the theological dissenters of our time who think they know better than the Holy Spirit. And that's why they always get it wrong. And every year they are more far out than they were the year before. Jesus said, All praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the learned and the clever and revealed them to the merest children. Of such dissenters, St. Paul wrote, Professing themselves wise, they became fools. The Bible calls pride the reservoir of all sin. The book of Proverbs says, when pride comes, disgrace comes. But with the humble, there is wisdom. It says, pride goeth before the fall. God will repay to the full those who act with pride. What is pride? The Latin term is hubris. Pride is that exaggerated self-love that inclines us to see ourselves as being superior, better than others. Pride is that insidious desire for self-exaltation that leads us to seek our own honor and glory apart from the glory of God. Pride sees the self as the center of the universe, the center of one's own existence, the measure of all truth, the measure of all reality, the standard of all morality. Pride sets the self in opposition to God's wisdom and will. Pride sets itself up as the judge over God's word and God's law. Pride will always seek to be the center of attention. Pride will always seek to have its own way, control, dominate, and manipulate. And you know what? When we examine our consciences and look back on our past lives, invariably we see that so many of our worst moments, our worst humiliations, bad behaviors, biggest blunders, embarrassing falls, broken relationships, professional failures, life's most bitter regrets and memories can be traced back to our own foolish, foolish pride. Isn't it true? It's always been true of my life. I don't know about yours. I hate to say amen this far north. But I think <laughs> Kentuckians are great for amening, you know. But uh, we could say amen to that. You see, pride is the great destroyer of marriages. 
the stumbling block to holiness of life, the obstacle to grace and repentance, mental block to forgiveness, peace, and reconciliation. It is the source of endless self-deception, vanity, and folly. Through it will come the lust for power. It is the catalyst for anger, violence, and war. Pride is an affront to God, an open door to the devil, the gateway to hell. And if you give it free reign, if you let pride rule your life, it will always be for you a disaster in the making, an accident waiting to happen because it always backfires on us in the end. There's only one cure. There's only one antidote for pride, and it is humility. The tendency to pride is overcome only by its opposite corresponding virtue, the virtue of humility, the foundation of all virtue, without which no other virtue can grow very much in your life. You see, for all of us, there is a simple rule in the spiritual life. No humility, no sanctity. No humility, no merit in your good works in the sight of Almighty God. Pride, even though it may be secret, hidden pride in the form of selfishness or ulterior motives, will vitiate, that is, cancel out the meritorious nature of your good works in the sight of Almighty God. You can't store up any treasure in heaven if your treasure is tainted, poisoned by pride. What is humility? Humility is a much misunderstood virtue in our day. And what I want to do here is speak about what it is and what it is not. Because, friends, I want to tell you, it is vitally important that all of us understand and practice and cultivate the virtue of humility because in the spiritual life, if you don't have it, you may end up with nothing. St. John Vianney, the Cure of Ar, patron saint of parish priest, said this. Without humility, everything else is like a huge heap of straw which we have piled up, but with the first gust of wind is blown over and scattered far and wide. The devil has little respect for those devotions which are not founded upon humility, because he knows well that he can get rid of them whenever he pleases. What is humility? Here's a simple rule. Keep this in mind. St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church, one of the great spiritual writers in the history of the church, said, humility is truth. Humility is truth. What truth? First of all, it is the truth about ourselves. That is to say, humility is the moral virtue by which we have a correct opinion of ourselves and see ourselves as God sees us. It is a true recognition of what we are and what we are worth in the eyes of God and in the sight of others. Humility is the virtue that restrains us in our unruly desire for personal glory, and it helps us to recognize the fact that there is an infinite distance between the creature and the creator, God, without whom we are nothing and can do nothing. With Christ as our model, we can say that humility is essentially an emptying of self, a self-emptying that allows God to work in us with his grace. Now, the word humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means 
earth, soil, dust, dirt. Reminds us of God's word to us in the book of Genesis. Remember, O man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Some of the newer translations say, remember that you are dirt, and to dirt you shall return. We know that we can describe the practice of the spiritual life as the cultivation of an interior garden. We're talking about the garden of the soul. The garden which we sow to produce good fruits, good works, an increase in virtue. Those of you who've done any gardening or farming know very well that there are certain things that you've got to have. You can't grow anything. First thing, you've got to have sunlight. Right? In the spiritual life, what is this sunlight that allows photosynthesis to take place? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Justice, the true light of the world. And then we know you have got to have rain. You've got to have water. In the spiritual life, what is the water? It is the river of living water flowing from the heart of Christ, communicated by the Holy Spirit by means of the seven sacraments. Those powerful channels of grace our Lord bought and paid for in his own blood, symbolized by the waters of baptism. So you've got sunlight. You've got the water. What else do you have to have as the foundation? The good soil. You've got to have the good humus. In the spiritual life, the good humus is humility. you got to have humility. Humility reminds us that every good thing we have, every good gift we enjoy, every grace and blessing, every talent we can use, comes from where? God, and not from ourselves. St. Paul, in that great verse from his second letter to the Corinthians, said, This treasure we possess in earthen vessels to make it clear that its surpassing power comes from God and not from us. St. Francis de Sales said, Humility and charity are the principal virtues. They act as mother hens while all the other virtues follow them like little chicks. On the other hand, pride is the mother and the source of every sin. Now it's important that we understand what humility is not. And the true humility should not be confused with timidity. The Holy Spirit is no cowardly spirit, it says in Scripture, right? Humility is not timidity. It is not mediocrity. It is not lack of initiative. It is not self-loathing or defeatism and all the like. True humility does not deny the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given to us. It just means that we don't claim those things as our own, but as truly coming from God in whom we live and move and have our being of whose fullness we have all received, knowing that God wants and expects and demands that we use those good gifts with right intention, with the help of his grace, to build up the mystical body of Christ on earth, which is the church. Now, I think most of us have probably known people who have a false conception of humility. I'm thinking of one lady who we love (laughs) in one of our parishes in particular who drives us bananas sometimes with false humility, right? People who will claim humility as an excuse to do nothing. 
There's some people you'll ask them to get involved in some kind of an apostolic work or charitable cause or some ministry of service, and they'll say something like this. Oh, Father. Oh, Father, who am I? I'm so weak. I'm so little. I'm so sinful. I'll never amount to anything. Little old me, good for nothing. You know, I'd like to do more, but, but you know, I'm just, I'm so unworthy. I just can't. I could never. Oh, no. Okay, this is a bubble-brained, wrong-headed notion of what it means to serve God in humility. Here's a key statement. The, key state, the whole of this conference hinges upon this statement. The virtue of humility and trust in God go hand in hand. Let me say that again for you. The virtue of humility and confidence in God go hand in hand. You can't not have one without the other. Now, I know of a Monsignor down in our part of the country. Great priest. Great pastor. Holy man. Entirely faithful to the church. Intellectually gifted. Capable administrator. Respected by everyone who knew him. Rome wanted to make him a bishop, wanted to give him a diocese. He turned it down. He said, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to be a successor of the apostles. And so the office of bishop was offered to another priest who really was unworthy. He accepted. Fifteen years later, His diocese was in ruins, and that bishop resigned in scandal. Now, I don't claim to know God's plan for those two men, but the point is this. Again, humility and trust go hand in hand. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. St. Paul said, I willingly boast of my weakness so the power of Christ can rest on me. St. Teresa said, God plus one is an army. God is a majority of one. St. Louis de Montfort said, Never be afraid to undertake and accomplish great things for God. That is to say, yes, we are all weak, sinful creatures. We're all little in the sight of Almighty God. Yes, without him we can do nothing. But thanks be to God, he is the one who makes something out of nothing. St. Augustine used to say, yes, Lord, without you, nothing. With you, everything. Now, this has got to be understood also. We need to be clear on this point. To be a little soul, to be a humble soul in God's sight, does not mean the Christian is called to be a doormat, a pushover, a wimp. In serious matters, especially when it comes to defending the faith and defending your family. Look at the lives of the saints. The saints were great in humility, but at the same time, they were courageous, audacious, tenacious defenders of truth and opponents of evil. Great example, great saint for our time, Mother Teresa. Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. One time... Mother Teresa was invited to go to Russia, to Moscow, to receive an award for her humanitarian work from the old Soviet communist government. 
And mother reluctantly accepted the invitation, not because she was seeking human praise or worldly honors, but because she had tried for years to open a house of the missionaries of charity in Russia, and she could never do it. The communists would never give permission. So mother went to Moscow, and the communists held this lavish award ceremony, and they invited world news organizations. And uh, at the ceremony, Mother Teresa gave a speech. And during her speech, she noticed that the communist interpreter on the other side of the stage was deliberately mistranslating her words and turning her speech into a diatribe against the U.S., Right? Western imperialism and capitalism and warmongering and all that. So Mother Teresa stopped. She walked across the stage in front of everyone, walked up to the interpreter, shook a finger at him, pointed a finger in his face and said, Stop! Stop! That is not what I said and you know it. She said, Either you translate my words correctly or I will walk out of here right now and this will be over. <laughs> he got the message. She went back over and finished her speech. When it was over, one of the sisters with her said, Mother, how did you know? How did you know what he was saying? You don't speak Russian. And Mother said, No, I do not speak Russian, but the Holy Spirit does. Mm -hmm. Now we can say that the greatest obstacle to true Christian discipleship is pride. And I think most of us will have to struggle every day with the movements of pride within ourselves. And we know the great danger of it is that often it can be subtle and subconscious. And if you are not constantly on your guard, if you are not constantly on the lookout for it, ever so vigilant, the devil will use it to trip you up. Why is pride so dangerous? It is because we all want to be somebody. We all want to be somebody. I think of my old friend, my seminary classmate, Father John Corapi, talking about the days before his conversion, when he was a multimillionaire out in Southern California. And at one point, uh, he bought this sports car. He loved this sports car. It was a red Ferrari. And he used to drive around Hollywood to make a big show of himself, you know. And he would be zooming down Rodeo Drive, and he said when he would drive by, people on the street would stop and turn their heads and stare as if to say, there goes somebody. <laughs> Most of you know the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God, Father John and his red Ferrari were carjacked by our blessed mother. <laughs> Not literally, of course. Spiritually speaking, you know what happened? Uh, he made his fortune in the real estate business out in Southern California. Um, he began to live life in the fast lane, began to experiment with drugs, got hooked on cocaine, became an addict. His business went down the drain, and he ended up on the street. Thanks be to God, he had a loving mother back in New York, never gave up praying for him and a loving mother in heaven to intercede for him. And today, Father John, I believe, is probably the best Catholic preacher in the country. But the point is this, you see, we all want to be somebody. We all want to excel. We want to stand out from the crowd. We want the respect and admiration of others. The American way is to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go for success. You see, make your mark in the world. 
And now there is nothing wrong with that in its proper place. God does call us to do the best that we can with the good gifts that he has given to us. Like the old army recruiting ad they ran for years, be all that you can be. Remember that one? Be all that you can be. They got me with that one. Okay, now, that's great as long as we remember who is in charge, (laughs) whose service we are in, where the power is, who has got to get the glory and the praise, whose way it's got to be, whose will has got to be done at every step of the way. In God's plan, there's only one way you can be all that you can be. you got to be a saint, a saint. That's what we've been created to be. Now, in a certain sense, we can say that all of us are called to greatness in life. We're called to be humble, but at the same time, we're called to be great. That is great in the sight of heaven. Now, think of the life of our Blessed Mother, the most humble of all of God's creatures. During the season of Advent, of course, we always meditate on her magnificat, her words In the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What does Our Lady do? In the Magnificat, you see, she is always acknowledging, openly acknowledging the great things God has done for her. She does not deny it. She doesn't try to hide it, but she is always giving God the praise. She's always given God the glory, always directing everything back to God. You see, we are called to be great in the sight of heaven. Now, greatness, true greatness, is not what greatness is in the sight of the world. We know all the things the world holds in high esteem. Wealth, success, status, power, pleasure, fame, physical beauty, and all the like. All those things that have no value whatsoever in the sight of Almighty God for eternity. You have to understand that what you are, what you truly are in the order of creation, is what you are in the sight of Almighty God. Nothing more, nothing less. You know what greatness is in the sight of heaven? Greatness is holiness. Greatness is the perfect fulfillment of God's word and God's will in your life. No matter how simple it is, no matter how difficult it is, even in the most ordinary circumstances of your daily life, no matter who you are or where you are or what you are, That is how even the most little, simple, hidden, humble, unknown soul can be great in God's sight. That's what makes a saint. Holiness is greatness, you see. Holiness we define as the alignment of the human will with the will of Almighty God. God's will be done, you see. We hope you're enjoying this presentation by Father Bill Casey with the Fathers of Mercy. As you hear, 
Father Casey is a gifted speaker and travels the country teaching on the fundamental teachings of the Catholic faith in his own unique manner. Father Casey will be the speaker at the 15th Annual Summer Speaker Series event on the evening of Thursday, July 20th at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. To purchase your tickets, visit summerspeakerseries.com. That's summerspeakerseries.com. We now return to Father Bill Casey. Now, in our own time, the virtue of humility can be in short supply. During the awful scandals of 2002, an archbishop had to resign when it was discovered that he had paid out more than a half a million dollars of church money, hush money, to his partner in sin. When confronted by reporters about his misuse of church funds, the archbishop said, Well, in my years of fundraising, I brought in a lot more money than that. No humility there, huh? On those rare occasions, those sad occasions when I have had to refuse someone absolution in the confessional, it has always been for the same reason. It is always because that person is absolutely convinced of his or her own goodness, his or her own rightness, while at the same time holding tenaciously to some grave sin, some pet sin, you see, with no firm purpose of amendment. Friends, the virtue of humility demands that we recognize the fact, the basic fact that all of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. It is true to say none of us here will ever see the vision of God in heaven unless we are humble enough to know, humble enough to admit that we are truly sinners in need of God's mercy. That's why the loss of the sense of sin, that's why the lack of any Significant preaching about the reality of sin, commandments, virtues, and vices is so very dangerous to the life of souls and to the very life of the church in this country. There can be no forgiveness of sins without true contrition. There can be no mercy without repentance. The 51st Psalm says, A humble, contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. You know, the facts of history and your own experience will tell you that often it can be the case that important people, VIPs, can be humble while ordinary Joes can be filled with pride and arrogance. Big shots can be humble, little shots can be proud. Another great example of humility for our time Pope John Paul II. It is said that Pope John Paul II went to confession every day or every other day when the opportunity would present itself. In the 27 years of his pontificate, John Paul traveled around the world 13 times, visited 134 countries. Remember what he used to do when he would get off the plane, come down the steps, come down the ramp? He would get down on his hands and knees and kiss the ground. On Holy Thursday, celebrating the Mass of the Lord's Supper, the ceremonial washing of the feet, not only did Pope John Paul wash the feet, he would also kiss the feet. 
That's humility. It is said that President Abraham Lincoln was a humble man. One day during the Civil War, President Lincoln was visiting the wounded in a hospital in Washington, D.C., and he was walking through one of those old hospital doors that would swing both ways, and a big, burly young man was rushing through the same door at the same time, going the opposite way, and he knocked President Lincoln down onto the floor. Didn't recognize him. They didn't have photos in the newspapers in those days. And he looked down at the president and yelled at him. He said, why don't you look where you're going, you big, long, lanky string bean? President Lincoln stood up, brushed himself off, and said, Young man, what is troubling you on the inside? When I was a young army officer, I was privileged to meet General Omar Bradley. General Bradley was a five-star general at the time. Highest-ranking man in the American military, historic figure of World War II. It was kind of a living legend, but still a very humble man, always a kind man, always a gentleman, never looked down on any GI. One time during the Second World War, General Bradley was leading American troops in combat in Sicily, and he was up at the front where the hottest action was taking place. The Germans were shelling them all over the place, and artillery rounds were bursting all around them, and General Bradley had to run and take cover. So he ran and jumped into a ditch by the side of the road. And about a minute later, a private, a GI, came running up and jumped into the ditch next to him. He yelled over to him, Who is the idiot in charge of this operation? <laughs> General Bradley was looking, un- looking out from under his helmet and said, Wherever he is, they ought to hang him. <laughs> Pride, lack of humility, is the great destroyer of human relationships the great destroyer of marriage and family life. It is the evil tree that bears rotten fruits in the form of selfishness, egotism, lack of forgiveness, lack of compassion, breakdown of interpersonal communication, envy, rivalry, suspicion, rash judgment, rudeness, denial of sin, you name it. I remember one time hearing this poor, silly woman who came on TV telling her life story and tales of woe, And she was saying, I dated this guy for several years, and a lot of the time he treated me like dirt. And then, after we were married, after they were married, guess what? Things got worse. (laughs) A guy treated her like dirt for seven years, and she married him? How crazy can you get? Reminds me of a book that came out a few years back by Dr. Laura. Ten stupid things women do to mess up their lives. You want to wreck your life? You want to be miserable? All you have to do is marry someone filled with pride and arrogance. There's an old saying, the man who is in love with himself will have no rivals. (laughs) Here's a question for you. Now, how can you detect, how can you discern the movements of pride within yourself? I have a little diagnostic test here for you. Let me ask you these questions. Number one, in your heart of hearts, do you see yourself as being better than others because of who you are? 
what you have or what you know. When you are in conversation with others, do you always seem to call the subject back to yourself? Do you always talk about yourself, your own interests, your own affairs? Are you overly concerned about what other people think of you? Are you always trying to make yourself look good, build yourself up on the side of others? Are you always ready to stretch the truth, lie that is in order to do it? Are you one of those persons who has always got to be right, can't stand to be contradicted? Do you hold on to your own opinions even when they are shown definitively to be wrong? Do you find it easy to dissent from the teaching of the church, faith and morals? Do you think that you know better than the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, the whole church, the whole company of the saints? Are you ready to bet your immortal soul on that? That's a sucker's bet. That's the worst pride of all. Are you someone who is ultra-sensitive to criticism? Can't accept even a mild for eternal correction and charity? Even when you know you're deserving of it? Do you find it easy to gossip? Do you take pleasure in tearing down others? Do you take satisfaction in hearing someone's good name being torn apart? Do you jump on every chance to point out the faults and the mistakes of others, never miss a chance to criticize? Are you one of those types who can dish it out, but you can't take it? We've all known those kind of people who love to poke fun at others, but when they're on the receiving end of a little joke, all of a sudden they get very serious and sometimes very angry. Do you find it hard to forgive? Even the slightest offense? Do you feel a need to get even, ready to hold a grudge? Mother Teresa used to say, to forgive takes love, but to forget takes humility. Is it true to say that a lot of what you do tends to be done for the sake of appearances? Do you always feel the need to be noticed? Do you always seem to be motivated by a desire to win the praise of others, like the Pharisees of old who preferred the praise of men to the glory of God? Performed all their good works to be seen? You know, the Holy Spirit wants no part of that. Does a lot of this sound familiar? If it does, if it strikes a chord in you, these are the movements of pride. Now, there is, of course, a positive sense in which we can use the term pride. For example, being conscientious, dependable, responsible, and doing things well. For example, taking pride in your work or uh, pride in your neighborhood. That's not what we're talking about here. See, here we are talking about the capital fault of pride, inordinate self-esteem, conceit, and all the like. And so here's the last question. The big question. How do we become humble? How do we get the virtue of humility? First thing, most important thing, Pray for it. The humble soul prays all the time in radical dependence on God. In the Psalms it says, A prayer 
are the humble pierces of the clouds and it reaches the heavens and it does not return until God hears and answers. Second, remember that ordinarily God humbles us through humiliations. And little humiliations can seem to come our way every single day. We should accept them as coming from God, permitted by God for our sanctification. Third, have a sense of humor. Don't take yourself so seriously. Fourth, be a joyful person. The humble soul is always at peace in the hands of God. St. Teresa said, God save us from a sad face, saints. And fifth, finally, most importantly, imitate the one who is always the perfect model of humility, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus who said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus, who humbled himself to share in our humanity, taught his disciples to take the lowest place, washed the feet of the apostles, came to serve and not to be served, and said, Come and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Now I will ask you, at this point, to pray with me. And I will ask you to pray with me what I believe is the most beautiful prayer for humility ever written. It is the Litany of Humility written by the Holy Cardinal Mary Del Val, who was Vatican Secretary of State under Pope St. Pius X. And this prayer, this Litany of Humility, is prayed by the Fathers of Mercy uh, every week during our daily Eucharistic Holy Hour. And I'll ask you to kneel now as we begin. Kneel if you can, if you're physically able to kneel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. The common response is, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being slandered, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. The common response to the next section is, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. 
Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. You've been listening to a special presentation by Father Bill Casey with the Fathers of Mercy. We're very excited to welcome Father Casey as the speaker of this year's KTH 910 AM Summer Speaker Series event on Thursday evening, July 20th at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. Tickets are $75 and include wine and hors d'oeuvres. Please help support the mission of KTH 910 AM by purchasing your tickets today at summerspeakerseries.com. That's summerspeakerseries.com. We hope to see you on Thursday evening, July 20th, for the Summer Speaker Series event with Father Bill Casey. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down the weary one. And I will make you strong enough 
This is Dave's uh, Express Tea. Thanks to our local organizations and apostolates who are the sponsors of the 15th Annual Subcase Speaker Series event on July 20th in Dallas with guest speaker Father Bill Casey. Our sponsors include the Catholic Foundation, the Catholic Pro-Life Community, the Catholic Brothers of Christ, and the Cardinal Menzenti Foundation. For more information about the July 20th event with Father Bill Casey and to get your tickets, please visit summerspeakerseries.com.
are the Lord of light You conquer darkness You are the Prince of Peace Pour down your mercy Jesus, we trust in you with us. 